Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis. And today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Bob Tarpey, athletic trainer for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, this is going to be a, a great show. I'm excited about this um, and can't wait to get started. Bob, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. This is my first podcast, so I'm um, pretty excited for the opportunity. Ah, uh, this is great. This is great. But before we get started, although I just want to jump right into this, um, before we start the interview, though, I just want to take a, a few moments to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit EasyGliderSocks.com. That's EasyGliderSocks.com. Hello and welcome back. Um, so today we're going to be talking with Bob Tarpey uh, from the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Bob grew up in York, Maine, graduated in 1999. He uh, also graduated from the University of Maine at Presque Isle in 2003 with an athletic training degree. He had an internship in 2002 with the Carolina Muscats, uh, AA team for the Colorado Rockies. And in 2003, I did an internship with Toronto Blue Jays during a major league spring training in Dunedin, Florida. Um, and he graduated from California University of Pennsylvania in 2005 uh, with his master's in athletic training. After graduating, took a job in Mesa, Arizona with independent baseball team uh, and uh in the fall, was hired by the U.S. Navy, where he worked as a civilian uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. He was able to work with the Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and, uh, and many other active duty military personnel um, that were attending the Naval War College on base. In 2006, he was hired by the Toronto Blue Jays and had stops in uh, Pulaski, Virginia, Lansing, Michigan, Dunedin, Florida, Manchester, New Hampshire, and currently in Buffalo, New York. He was selected as the Minor League Athletic Trainer of the Year in 2014 and as a result was selected to work the Major League Baseball Futures game in 2015 in Cincinnati, Ohio. He currently lives in Winthrop, Massachusetts with his wife Erin and his two uh, two-year-old twins, Hannah and Brady. Bob, thanks for uh, coming on to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So a little a little background about how I know Bob. Um, I used to uh, teach uh, at the University of Maine at uh, Presque Isle, and I was teaching soft tissue modalities to the athletic trainers. I always remember seeing Bob there, and uh, the one thing that jumps out the most is that he was always early to class. He was studying like a madman constantly and, and always had the most inquisitive 
questions. He was always asking the right things at the right time. And um, I'll, I'll always remember these were Monday night classes. They were four hours long. They started at five o'clock and um, everybody was like kind of drowning there. But Bob was always on task. He was always, you know, very, very inquisitive, wondering about how to do everything better. And you could see that there was a ton of enthusiasm and that uh, he was going to, you know, someday become a great trainer. You just know that you see that in some of your students. Uh, and so uh, that's, uh, you know, that's how I got to know Bob. And then uh, more recently, uh, we've been working together uh, with uh, this new product, the Easy Slant, that uh, we've developed here in um, in Presque Isle. And, uh, and, and apparently you folks are using it down there. So uh, that's been great. Um, Bob, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of background. How did you get from the University of Maine at Presque Isle to the Toronto Blue Jays? Um, yeah, first off, I want to say thank you about all those those kind words you said about me. That was uh, very nice to hear. But, you know, it's kind of a product of being surrounded by good people, Barb Blackstone, yourself, uh, many others. But, um, yeah, so um, it kind of goes back to um, doing the internship. So um, I was a student at Umpy and my desire, I love baseball. Growing up, I love baseball. And once I found out you could be an athletic trainer in baseball, that's, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I just sent my resume to, I don't know how many resumes I printed off, but I sent resumes to, to every team, major league team, minor league teams. You know, it didn't matter. And, you know, be honest with you, I kind of picked the logos that I liked uh, for minor league teams and sent them. Anyways, long story short, I ended up uh, hearing back from one team, one, one athletic trainer, uh, Jeremy Moeller with the, the Carolina Mudcats. Uh, I was a double A for the Rockies at the time, and, and he offered. He said, yeah, you can come down and do an unpaid internship um, in Zebulon, North Carolina, which is just outside of Raleigh. So packed up my truck, and I head down for the summer. It was probably the best summer I ever had. Um, spending the time in the clubhouse with, with, with uh, minor league players that ended up being major league players. Um, Clint Barmas was a shortstop for a long time. Uh, Matt Holiday was on the team, um, just to name a couple. A lot of other guys made it as well. But that's when I fell in love with – um, professional baseball athletic training. Um, and that led to another internship with the Blue Jays. So uh, that's kind of how it happened. Um, I'd say internships were the best route for me. Yeah. So I think what, what I'm seeing here is that, you know, when you look out there and it's pretty much in any profession, especially in the medical field, like what we do, um, you've got to put in a lot of work up front. You've got to be in the trenches. You've got to do some free work uh, and uh, and push hard, you know, study a lot and, and put in that extra time. And I think that's what helps people like yourself and myself really step it up and, and, and you know, move ahead so that you can kind of maintain that enthusiasm. So, uh, you know, it's, a, this is a great example of how, you know, pushing along and being persistent, uh, in something you love will get you to where you want to be. Yeah. I think it's funny you bring that up too, because I think a lot of the, 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 the things that you see on the internet now are podcasts or Ted talks, or a lot of people talk about having grit. And I was fortunate enough to grow up with great parents who were blue collar, um, my dad was a nuclear engineer, worked at the shipyard. Um, mom was a secretary. She had a lot of different jobs. But they just kind of taught me about hard work. And um, I was just surrounded by it my whole life um, and got to Umpy and, and continue to work hard and did the internships because that's what I wanted to do. And you're absolutely right. It, that's what it takes is, is going the extra mile early on. Um, you can't just expect things to, to come your way. you got to go out and, and kind of take it. Yeah. So can you can you fill me in a little bit about the different roles you have in, as an athletic trainer? Um, it, you're working for a triple A team and, and working for the uh, the Blue Jays. You know, how different is that uh, 
you know, if you were to compare yourself to like maybe a high school athletic trainer or even a college athletic trainer, how are your roles different at this level? Um, absolutely. That's a great question because it's very different for, for minor league trainers in baseball. Um, you know, when you're working in a college setting or a high school setting, usually you're just the, just the athletic trainer, um, deal with injuries and, and players and staff. That's it. Um, in minor league baseball, we are the traveling secretary. Um, we, early on in my career, we, we were in charge of getting food before games. So not only did we deal with all the injuries and things like that, we had to make sure that the guys were fed before and sometimes after the games. Um, now that we're in the AAA level, we have a lot more things, uh, that are taken care of us, uh, taken care of for us. Um, but we're still the traveling secretaries. Um, it's actually kind of easier that way. Um. Um, that we do all the, the the rooming lists and and things like that, but we wear we wear many different hats. Like you said, it just it's one of those things. You know, we're a team and we have to get everything done, so we all work hard together. Even with the other coaches, they help with the travel. Um, you know, that's it. It's just it's constant uh, teamwork, really. Yeah, great. Um, so at at the high school and college level, you have this team of people: athletic trainer, physical therapist, and um, you know primary care providers and, and folks of that sort. How is the team different at the, uh, at the AAA level? You know, uh, what kind of contact do you have with orthopedic specialists and, and those folks and how quickly can you get players in to see these people? Uh, whereas like, you know, at, at, in Northern Maine here uh, where we just see high school sports and some college, uh, you know, it takes a while to get somebody into a physician, maybe order up an MRI and get x-rays and all that stuff. How is that process different with you guys? Yeah, I'd say the one thing that makes my job really easy is the amount of resources that we have surrounding the player. Um, we have team doctors, orthopedic, internal. Um, we have dermatologists on call. We have anything that you can imagine on call uh, <clears throat> in Buffalo at the AAA level. Um, if a player gets injured in the first, second, third inning, I probably have an MRI. definitely have an x-ray done, but I probably have an MRI done before the game's over. Um, we just, I, I make phone calls and it's just like red alert. You know, the, or we have great team doctors at every level that we're at. I've been really fortunate with that, but um, Dr. Slough in Buffalo has been tremendous and they just take care of everything and set it all up for you. Um, and that's the key is having information as soon as possible, um, especially when we're dealing with AAA because it's only one level below the major league. So you know, there, there, there could be a player move that could happen that night, and they may want that player that got hurt in the game. So we're going to find out how severe it is, um, not only for our benefit to protect ourselves, but for the player, because we don't want him not to have the opportunity to go um, if something comes up. So, yeah, the resources are, are incredible. I know I'm kind of rambling on here, but um, especially with the Blue Jays, I think we have it a little bit better than most. We have um, a full team of uh, dietitians, nutritionists for all the players, um, where most teams maybe have – a consultant uh, that comes in a couple times a year. We have them on staff full time at each each level now. Um, we have mental performance coaches that, that can help the guys uh, with situations on and off the field. Um, we have the athletic trainers. We have the strength and conditioning coaches, um, and we all just kind of blend and, and, and we, we surround ourselves around the player. The players in the middle and all the resources around it. We have to communicate well enough to make sure that we all work well enough together to get the best out of the player and eventually get them to the major leagues, but to perform well. And that's the goal is, is, is to win, right? I mean, all right. team sports, you want to win, it doesn't matter. So yeah, uh, that's the goal. 
Excellent. Wow. I wish I had that kind of system, uh, you know, set up around here. And, and it's, I'm not saying that we don't have that, um, you know, being so remote and uh, so rural where we are, but it takes a long time to develop those relationships. And um, when you can connect with a specialist and, you know, get their cell phone number and be accessible to them and, and they're accessible to you, um, that is huge, you know, as far as getting people in and expedited really quickly. Um, I have an interesting question for you, and I don't know if yeah. you can answer this or not but um you know in places in rural maine like where we are there are a lot of everybody's a three-sport athlete at the major league level and at the triple a level when people are being recruited do you look into that previous history like do you look to see if they were a single sport athlete or a two or three sport athlete? And, you know, how does that, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we see a lot of these repetitive strain injuries, like these kids who start throwing and pitching really hard at seven, eight, and nine years old, and they continue and continue doing that. And they end up with some major, you know, elbow injuries or shoulder injuries by the time they're 12 and 13 years old. Whereas some of these people I've heard who are like three sport athletes who start a little bit later actually are a little more developed and, and progress better. Do you guys look at that at all when you're looking at you know, players that are coming up uh, the ranks? Absolutely do. And I think you'll see a lot of information coming out of, uh, out of Birmingham with Dr. Andrews. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out why there's so many UCL injuries uh, in the elbow in uh, high school sports, college sports, and especially at the professional level. And I think it goes back to, you know, as a, as a young child, they want you to, to get the rest that you need. So don't be a specialist at a young age. There's no reason for you to pitch um, for your little league team and then go to pitch in the AAU and then you pitch in the fall, you know, travel team classic. And then all of a sudden you don't have any rest. Um, you know, your body can't recover. And eventually you, 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 you tear the UCL or you hurt your shoulder. And then that, it's really hard to come back from that, especially at a young age. And then it's hard to perform well after that because it takes a long time to recover, you know, to be able to get the scholarship to go to college or get drafted. So, yeah, that is something that we look at. And it's something that's talked about quite a bit. Um, I know Dr. Andrews stress can't stress enough about, um, you know, just playing multiple sports um, and it can help you in all different areas. And one way to look at it is I love, and I I've had college football players that come play baseball for us. These guys are so athletic. They're so incredible. Um, and you, if you look at it like a benefit like that, if you go and play football and you're doing agilities and you're multi change of direction, you know, on the base paths or playing in the outfield or playing third base with those quick reactions, you're, you're going to have a step ahead of the next guy who just plays baseball year round. Cause it's, it's not, as demanding physically for the lower body like football would be. Um, and I think, too, it creates a level, you know, of toughness in different areas. Hockey players, you know, we're a Canadian team. We draft a lot of those uh, Canadian kids, and they come out, and those guys have legs like, you know, uh, legs feed the wolf, they say. Those guys are so strong, and <clears throat> they're able to, you know, do things that the other kids can't. And, um, yeah, I can't, I, can't, I can't agree more to, to, to be a multi-sport athlete for sure. Yeah, great, great. Good to hear, especially from, you know, where we're from, where we, where all the kids, my daughter, my son, they were all multi-sport athletes. Um, and I really think that helps to minimize some of that, uh, that risk. Um, and preseason conditioning is huge. I'm sure you know all about that. You guys, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure have uh, strength and conditioning coaches that work with your folks, uh, diligently. Um, but I think yeah, you wow. would agree that, you know, rest is just as important as a good, solid strength and conditioning program. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we play games every day. You know, this isn't like the NFL where, you know, you play on Sunday, 
have a couple of days to recover, and then you can kind of manage recovery throughout the week. You know, we play, you know, we play Monday night, we're playing Tuesday night. Uh, we play every day. So our recovery time is limited. Um, you know, and over time I've been surrounded by great people. We figured out different ways, um, for pitchers to recover, uh, <clears throat> uh, position players to recover, catchers to recover. Um, and it's just something that is, is kind of constantly happening. Um, you know, you could even think about hydration. I think it's huge and I think it's overlooked, but that's a part of recovery. If you're not hydrated before the game starts because you didn't rehydrate from the day before or the earlier session in the day, now you're going to cramp and you're going to run to first and you're going to pull a hammy and now you're out for, you know, six weeks. So those are things, and we try to push hydration upon guys, take the electrolytes, and that's why it's great to have the nutritionists and have that team around and have a lot of different eyes on the athletes. But, um, yeah, I mean, recovery Recovery right now is the word. It, it is absolutely – maybe maybe second to pliability is a big one. But, um, yeah, recovery, we just can't stress it enough. And it's, it's – you know, we actually have – when we go down and we teach these young um, players in the offseason, in, in, in Dunedin we bring the players in and we teach them recovery strategies. What are the different modalities you can use? What are the different techniques you can use? Um, what are things that you look out for? So, yeah, recovery is, is, is paramount. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Bob, here's a here's a good one here. What is the most difficult part of your job? Oh, the most difficult part of my job. Man, that's a great question. Um, I hate when players get hurt. I hate when players uh, get injured and have, uh, you know, an injury that may have been avoidable. You know, what did we miss? What did we what did we not see? What did we, you know, <clears throat> what could we have uncovered that, that, that um, you know, we, you know, we, we let the player down. I always feel bad about that. But um, that's the hardest part of the job is trying to keep your eyes on not just the guys that are in your office that are injured or have something going on, but what about the other guy who has the lingering elbow soreness, but he's not really getting treatment, you know. So open lines of communication with your players and your staff. Your staff is huge because they see these players, and, you know, they're, they're the best biomechanists in the world. Um, and they can see when, when, a, when a you know pitching coach can see that a pitcher's not – his Sam old self. So if you have that relationship with the pitching coach and you're able to get that information and maybe you can go talk to the player and, you know, he can open up and say, yeah, I got a little something going on and, and, and you can, you can kind of cut that off before it becomes a major issue. So that's, that's the hardest part is trying to, to, to identify those, those areas. Right, right. So before we continue, I'd like to take a, a little break, just have a, a moment uh, so we can have a word from our sponsors. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit easyslant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Welcome back and thank you for staying with us. Um, next question I have for you, Bob. Um, when working with an athlete, you know, we, we see it here at the high school level, college level, uh, somebody goes down and uh, maybe they sprain their ankle. They've got a couple more games. They're going to be hitting the, uh, the finals and uh, the pressure's on. Mom and dad wants, want the kid playing. The kid wants to play. The coaches want them out there. Um, and there's this huge amount of pressure. What's the pressure like at your level in regards to, you know, managing all these things? Now, now with the kids that I work with, there's no financial incentive. With mm -hmm. you guys, there's a little finance in, involved. Explain to me how that works. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
uh, managing the input from like the coaches and the owners and the athletes and things like that, dealing with, with tough situations, th- it, it, it at times can get very stressful, especially in the AAA level. We were a little bit more protected, um, you know, in the lower levels. Um, we had a 35-man roster instead of 25, so you could move players around, get them rest, things like that. Um, but when you're in AAA, if you have a player that's kind of on the bubble with an injury and he goes to the major leagues and now he gets hurt up there, that's a lot more money. Okay, that's a lot more money for the club. Um, it's really just not a good situation at all. Um, but you have to be a good evaluator, and I think that's the biggest thing for me um, is having good hands-on skills and, and having the confidence, you know, to 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 know when a player is good to play and and, and when they're at risk for for further injury. So. Um, there's always, you know, and again, we use, you know, our resources with the team doctors. And, you know, if, we, if there's a guy who's potentially going to go to the big leagues next week and he's kind of kind of hurting, we'll do, we'll get an MRI, we'll get an x-ray, we'll take him to the doc, we'll do everything that we can to make sure that we have all the information that we need um, to make that decision when the time comes. Um, so the stress is kind of can get high at times. Um, but again, you said you, you're dealing with, you know, finances. These guys are, have the opportunity to go from AAA where they're making X amount of dollars, which isn't a whole lot, to the big leagues, which is where you're making a lot of money. So these guys at times will, will not want to say that they're hurting. They will not want to say that they're having an issue because they want to go to the big leagues and they want to make the money. So, and I don't blame them, but um, that's where you have to have a good rapport with the players. That's where you have to have good rapport with the coaches. So if they see something, they can let you know. Information is gold up there. So any any information you can have on the player is is huge. Um, so I hope that kind of gives gives an idea of, of what we deal with on a day to day basis. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said that having confidence with your evaluation skills. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really why we developed Ortho Eval Pal. It's all about you know, there's six, seven reasons, seven, eight reasons why people don't get better. Yeah. And the number one reason somebody doesn't get better is a a poor evaluation. Okay. Yeah. And, a, and a pro and an improper diagnosis. And I think that, you know, having those skills to identify that something is right or something is wrong, number one is important, but then you can get into fine tuning things that really can help give you some direction. And then you can teach your players and talk to your players about, you know, this is what we're, this is where we're at and this is where we're going. And this is the algorithm that we're going to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think when you give them expectation and you give them some direction, they'll stick with that. Okay. And they'll, they'll follow you better. So I, I really appreciate you mentioning that about confidence and your orthopedic skills. Um, okay. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to throw out some sure. rapid fire questions. All right. Uh, just sure. uh, quick questions, quick answers. So um, what's the favorite body part you like to work on? Shoulder. I'm a baseball guy. Give me any shoulder, any day right. of the week. I love it. I feel like I'm, I'm one of the best. All right. Um, awesome. You know. Your most dreaded body part to work on. Oh my gosh. Head injuries, concussions. I hate, I, I just don't like them. I just, you know, I can deal with a hamstring and deal with shoulder and stuff like that, but very cautious with the head injuries, you know, with the, the long-term uh, issues people can have with that. It's one thing that I, you know, side on the side of caution with all the time. And I learned that from George Poulos, my early mentor. And, you know, that's, that's one <clears throat> injury. You know, we just don't, Everybody wants to go home at the end of the day, and we don't want to have any long-term issues. So, again, that's we have to be good with your evaluative skills in terms of concussion. And we, you know, in Major League Baseball, they have a, a, a program um, once somebody goes into concussion protocol, um, where they make it really easy for you. you do the SCAP five now? It used to be the SCAP three. Um, see the doctor. We do impact tests at the beginning of the season. So we have a lot of again resources when when these injuries happen. And then again, we go to neuro, neurosurgeons. Um, 
things like that and get that advice. But that's one thing that, you know, I'll, 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 I'll test out a hammy or a shoulder before I, I, I test out. I want to make sure that the head's good. That's really important. Yeah. The neural stuff is so less tangible. You know, it's uh, you, you just can't put your hands on it as easily. Uh, we deal with a lot of concussions here and mm-hmm. uh, my daughter had a concussion. It, uh, it actually was life changing. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it's a, it's a scary thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I think that the tangible things like rotator cuffs, ACLs, Achilles, you know, those are, those are easy to put your hands on. Uh, what's your yeah. favorite modality for treating pain? Favorite modality for treating pain? I, I like we lose class four laser and ultrasound. For me, those two things. If a guy gets hit by a pitch in the elbow, or the you know fouls went off the shin or the foot, again, we don't have time to recover. We got to play the next day. So that night, and you know, I'm doing class four laser. I'm doing ultrasound. I know people say, "Well, you put heat on it right away," but um, I have I have not seen anything work better than that. And then I'll follow that up with polymem patch. But um, those are the best modalities um, for for a situation like that. Um, <laughs> But then when you're talking about uh, doing rehab, I don't think that you can just use one modality at any given time. I think it's it's great in combination with, you know, proper exercises, core activation, um, rotator cuff exercises, doing, um, I think, form when you're doing exercises is so important. And I think that can go back to um, when you're talking about the young kids um, that pitch all year round. Um, a lot of times they don't have that, that good coaching where they, they have good form and then they're more susceptible to get hurt. Um, form is also paramount with the elbow. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Pitch, so it's no yeah. question. But, yeah. How fast can you tape an ankle? Oh, my gosh. Probably. Well, okay, a good ankle. <laughs> yeah. I could probably do it in about 40 seconds. Yeah. I don't think I'd send them out to play in a game with that. You know? Right. <laughs> so, but, um, no, that's one thing. We're lucky. We don't really have to tape a whole lot of ankles. Um you know, in baseball, but you know, when we do, we, we kind of have our specific way to do it, but um, I kind of, I take my time with it. I, I watch those guys in the NBA and the NFL do it and they're pretty incredible, but um, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather do it right than, than, than look cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so here's one. Um, I came across some information the other day and I, and I really believe in this, but I want to get your take on this. Um, you know, how many years did it take you as an athletic trainer and you, and you know, this is a tough one to answer because you could be, you know, put you on the spot a little bit. But how many years did it take you before you felt super confident going out on the field when somebody went down and assessing them, evaluating them, taking care of them and giving some direction? Yeah, I think I think with that part of it, um, I kind of had that that early on the emergency on field skills and the evaluation I, I thought was pretty good because when in doubt, just take them out. Um so I felt good about that. The, the hardest thing, the thing that took me a long time to get comfortable with was the return to play. When do I feel comfortable enough for these guys? You know, this guy's been out with a uh, <clears throat> rotator cuff strain for three weeks. You know, what tests do I need to do? How do I make sure that I know that he's ready to go back in? And that took me a long time to get to that point. Um, uh, probably, I'd say five years for that. Um, the emergency skills, they, they, you know, they, they're, you never know when it's going to pop up when it's needed. I was, um, sitting in a game in Lakeland, Florida. It was a major league spring training game. There was, I want to say there was two outs in the ninth. Maybe there was one, but it was the ninth inning. It was probably 95 degrees. We got a two hour bus ride to go home. So you're just sitting in the dugout, waiting for the game to end. And all of a sudden, boom, my pitcher gets hit with a rocket right in the head. So I, you just immediately, you know, you spring to your feet, you run out on the field. I think they timed it on video. It was seven seconds and I was on the field. And uh, those are the moments that, that, that are, are scary, but, um, you know, you need to stay calm in those situations. Um, and you need to 
No, you need to have a plan before you go out there. Try not to make your plan after. So um, having a good emergency background, which, you know, Umpy offered a great program when I was there. And then the more years you're in it and the good people that you're around, they, they, they teach you how to deal with those situations. So um, fortunately, he did very well. So. Well, that's, that's going to lead right into my next question is what is your preferred educational resource? Is it mentorship, um, online classes or live courses? I think it goes back to the mentorship or the internships that I did. I mean, if you want to, if you want to find out, you know, if you're talking about what career you want to do, dive right in there, go spend the day with a physical therapist. If that's what you want to do, find out what their life is like, go spend the day with an athletic trainer. You want to work in baseball, call your local minor league athletic trainer. They'll let you come out and, and stay for a day. But then that way you get to see what they go through, what they deal with. Um, I think you have, before you make a major decision like that, you have to go out and it, if it's anything else, a corporate world, fine you know, go out and, and dive right in there and just, just, just job shadow or internship or, you know, do whatever. I mean, this is the rest of your life and you're going to find something that, that you love. And luckily I, I found something that I love. So, um, yeah, I think at least you you can rule out what you don't love, and yeah. um, and uh, that way you know it kind of streamlines it and gives you some direction and uh, and where to go. And I think it's super important to surround yourself with people who are enthusiastic and passionate about what mm-hmm. uh, you want to do, and so that that trickles down. You know, when you watch them and you observe their skills and you learn from them, I think that uh, you know that really goes a long way in regards to how you become a better professional um, and a better decision maker and feel more confident with. Uh, your diagnostic skills and, uh, yeah. and management skills, you know, not just treatment, right. but how do you manage these particular situations? You can have, you know, you can have uh, 20 people with rotator cuff tears and uh, reconstructions, but you need to remember that they're all built and made differently. The tears are all different. The surgeons may all be different. The protocols afterwards are always different. Um, so, you know, how do you manage those people differently afterwards comes with a lot of um, putting your hands on people and, uh, and, and, being able to have resources, you know, like the Dr. Andrews and, and folks like that who have a lot of experience and, and you, you call up those folks and, and say, Hey, you know, what has worked for you in the past? And, or I've got this unusual situation, you know, I've not seen before, uh, how would you proceed? Um, so, you know, having those kinds of connections can be really helpful. Well, that's the thing too. We're always learning, right? I mean, it's, you know, I, graduated college in 2003 and got my master in 2005. I'm always still learning. I'm, it, I, we have uh, new physical therapists that, are, that I, I learn from every day. I have athletic trainers that have been around for 40 years and I learn from them every day. Um, so you can never think that you know everything uh, at any point. You always have to be open-minded. You always have to be willing to, to, to make changes, which is sometimes difficult. Um, you know, but I can't stress enough is just to continue, continuously learn. And, you know, and one way to do that is just love what you do. Um, right. So you don't mind diving into that. But like I said, you know, go to courses, read books, whatever, online videos, however, the best way for you to learn, find out what that is and stick with that. I think that's key for sure. Excellent. So, um, you know, I know you're on the road a lot and I know you have, uh, you know, a wonderful wife and uh, young children. How do you balance your home life and your work life? Well, you got to have a good wife. That's for sure. And I, I, I hit the lottery there. She's fantastic. My wife, Erin, is great. Um, uh, and luckily I did what I did when we met. So, um, she got to see, you know, before we started our family, she got to see what my life was like going out of spring training in February, just as the snow was about to fall. And I was missing out on shoveling and all that. And I was hanging out in the warm weather for a couple <laughs> months and, and then going baseball. And, uh, you know, I was traveling a lot. Um, <clears throat> but, but 
you know, if, if, if you love something enough and you want to make it work, you will. And, you know, that's my family is, is my, is my number one priority in my life. And I'm very fortunate that I'm still able to do what I, I do. My wife makes a lot of sacrifices. Um, in-laws, my family, everybody makes sacrifices for me to be able to do this. Um, but yeah, and it's just getting home whenever you can. I mean, I know I'm in Buffalo, but if I have a day off, I try and fly home. Or if we're in Pawtucket, I commute <clears throat> back and forth. Um, my wife will travel to come and see me. Um, she make it work, and, and it goes both ways. But um, like I said, I love what I love what I do, and you know, long term, um, you know, it could could be a good life for my family. And um, you just keep evaluating every year. Um, you know, and see where we're at, you know, because it is hard to be away from, from uh, my twins uh, for any amount of time. But, um, yeah, for, for lengths of time like that, it gets tough. But thank God for FaceTime. We FaceTime yeah. all the time. I mean, technology now is fantastic. I, I talk about it with uh, my manager, Bobby Meacham, who played for the Yankees in the 80s. And, um, I'm like, how did people do it without FaceTime? How did you, you know, all you had was landline phones. I mean, we're, we're so kind of spoiled now you know, all this technology and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, you seem to have it all figured out and, uh, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm happy for you. I mean, you've, you've worked very, very hard and uh, you did a great job, you know, right from the beginning and uh, glad to see that everything is working out well for you. Um, you. Bob, it's been excellent having you on the show. This has been absolutely awesome. Um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And um, I think that the more that we as healthcare professionals can connect with each other, we learn more from each other, uh, and have access to each other, uh, the more people we can help and uh, improve quality of life. And I think that's really what this all comes down to. Um, is there anything that you want to leave, uh, any final words you have for us? Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, just say there's a high school athletic trainer who's listening, talking about baseball. I just want to give a couple tidbits, things to look for, maybe they can help them and, you know, throw it at you too and see what you think. But, um, you know, we talked about recovery before um, for pitchers. So one thing that I firmly believe in um, is the day after a starting pitcher starts is that they don't throw and that they don't do any exercises um, at all. So if you look at our season, they'll have 30 to 34 starts. You're talking about giving the player a month off during the season. I mean, what happens once they hurt their shoulder, they take a month off. But if I can give you that month off during the season and allow you to recover better before your next game and decrease the amount of uh, possibility for an injury, um, things like that, um, I think it's paramount. So I think going back to recovery, but rest, but what is recovery? Um, making sure that you, you give that joint total rest. And that's the day that you use the modalities and the, um, you, know, you can do laser ultrasound. We use game ready a lot, recovery boots, things like that. But um, another thing too, that I think is, has helped with my success with, with shoulders. Cause I said, that's one of the, uh, my favorite topics to deal with too, is, you know, we talk a lot about internal external rotation. You know, I'm sure you, you see that at the clinic and stuff like that, too, with your players. Um, but I think the one thing um, that you really need to, to, to uh, is kind of the, the silent assassin in there is uh, shoulder abduction. Um, that's one thing that I look, look for in my players. And we don't really have a tangible way to measure it. But if you're good with your hands and you're still, you can see if a guy's restricted. Um, but again, that's going to lead to if you, if you don't have good abduction, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to get your elbow above your shoulder to put your UCL in a, in a basically healthy position to throw uh, over time. And then, if, and again, it goes back to mechanics. If they're off, um, you know, you're more susceptible to injury. So I don't know what your thoughts are. Have you ever identified or looked with your athletes, uh, throwing athletes with abduction? Is that something? Yeah, I, I think I think the, the big problem is that young kids um, usually – are not well. See, it depends on where you are at. Um, here in Northern Maine, the, the baseball season is very, very short. Um, we'll have teams actually 
only have practice time in a gymnasium and the first time they will play on a field will be their first game um, in Southern Maine. And so, and this happens in tennis also. Uh, we've gone to competitions where the first time they are on a court is the first game that they play. Um, and so it's different. So we don't have, you know, um, really good coaching staff here. Usually what happens is we see these kids who have shoulder injuries and elbow injuries. They come in. We check out their mechanics and they're absolutely awful. Um, mm-hmm. They don't know how to take the ball over the top very well. They don't know how to engage their core and their legs. Um, and they basically just focus on the shoulder when it comes time to getting ready for baseball. Um, and we know that, you know, when a pitcher is pitching a ball, only 50% of that power is coming from their shoulder. The rest is coming from the core and from the legs. Absolutely. And so once we, uh, we kind of break these kids back down a little bit and say, okay, well, if you're really serious about continuing as a pitcher or as a thrower, um, you know, this is how we're going to change your mechanics and having, Good shoulder mobility, good scapular mobility, and better core strength is important. So we may we may stop everything they're doing, put them on an Airx pad on their knees, Absolutely. and start with basic mechanics, and then add some rotation to the body, making sure that they've got the mobility, um, and doing it with good quality repetitively. And then it starts with, you know, slow throws for 25 throws and you increase the distance by five feet for another 25 throws. And it's really, really easy. Nobody throws, yeah. nobody throws a hard pitch um, until weeks after uh, starting a good program. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough in our situation um, because we don't have anybody starting them off except for mom or dad saying, hey, throw that ball as hard as you can into that, you know, through that tire. And, yeah. uh, and they'll go and do that a hundred times and then burn themselves out. Um, so we have to really kind of pull the reins on these people who are maybe diamonds in the rough, um, and have a lot of talent, but it's kind of raw talent. Um, so you pull the reins and then you fine tune them a little bit and then they, they do better. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think shoulder, you know, motion is very, very important. Um, and scapular mobility and stability and uh, core stability is also key. Oh, no question. I think, yeah, it's core, core stabilization and um, scapular stability or strength and, pro, you know, proper scapular motion is huge, too. If those guys are uh, <clears throat> stuck back there, uh, they're going to have a lot of problems, you know, with the shoulder. But, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Excellent. Anything else? No, that's it. I, I, I can't thank you enough. This was, this was great. I, I hope you guys got something in, good out of it um i did i thought it was it was it was fantastic i'm really impressed with what you've done with the easy slant i'm impressed with the with the podcast um ortho eval i think it's i think it's fantastic i think it's great well we uh, we still have a lot of content and uh we we plan on moving ahead with this and continue you know the thing is is i i've been at this for 26 years i want to continue to give information out there right. i'd hate to think that i would get struck by a car tomorrow and this all this knowledge that i've learned from experience would go to waste. And so you can, you can research a lot of stuff. You can go to PubMed and you can get a lot of research. And I believe in research and I believe in the evidence, but I still think uh, experience trumps a lot of that. Um, and so I like to make sure that we can pass that on and, uh, you know, talk to folks like yourself who have a lot of experience with this and, uh, and uh, just help people out in the orthopedic world. So uh, Bob, thanks again. I really appreciate you uh, helping and uh, being on the show and for all of uh, you listeners out there, make sure that if you have any questions or would like to make any comments regarding the show, go to orthoevalpal.com, go to our um, get in touch page 
leave a message there. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right on the top, if you click on the title, it'll take you to a, a sign-in page where you can, um, you know, sign up. I will send you our podcast every week when they come out and you'll be the first to get it. It'll come right up on your email and uh, make sure you go to our YouTube page. We uh, are just about at 250 uh, YouTube videos and uh, most of them are actual patients with actual problems who have real uh, problems, real diagnoses. We talk about how to better evaluate those people. And even if you're not an expert at orthopedic evaluation, um, if you learn one or two things on how to uh, rule something in or rule something out, hey, you're one step ahead of where you were before. So again, thank you folks for um, being with us and I appreciate your time and we'll see you till next time. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.